This week, we discuss the ever-changing Dutch cannabis laws, current events around the world, and starting your own seed company. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical Grass. My name is Erik Sierveld. I am from Dutch Passion, based in Amsterdam, and I am the, the CEO of that company. That was Languid with Somewhere in Amsterdam. Well, after a dozen podcast episodes talking about all things cannabis, we finally get around to speaking with someone from perhaps the most cannabis-friendly culture of the past 40 years, the Netherlands, specifically Amsterdam, which has been one of the top pot destinations worldwide and has certainly built up itself a reputation for tolerance with respect to soft drugs. However, it isn't exactly the cannabis Shangri-La most people associated with which we will discuss in this episode, though it has been a haven for cannabis enthusiasts and is still a major player, especially when it comes to promoting cannabis culture. Our guest on this week's podcast is Eric Sierfeld, CEO of the seed company Dutch Passion, which you may have heard of if you dabble in cannabis seeds and or genetics. Dutch Passion is one of the world's oldest cannabis seed banks and one of the few remaining original seed companies offering a variety of original classic strains, as well as some of the very best new varieties, constantly staying on the cutting edge of genetics. They started in the 1970s and were formally established as a seed bank as early as 1987, with over 50 Cannabis Cup prizes awarded for their high THC varieties. It's safe to say they know a thing or two about the business. I sat down with Eric at Prague's Canafest, where he let me pick his brain a bit about how and why he got into the seed business. I got in there by accident. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a tobacco smoker, but um, what attracted me about the industry was the, uh, the ability to, to, to add something to it and to, to help the guys to, um, to win their, their battle against authorities. I think it's, it, there's a lot of things that uh, have influence on this business and, and regulation is a, is a big part of it and um, I, I disagree with most of it so um, part of me is a little bit of a fighter and part of me is really enjoying the company because it's, a, it's one of the oldest seed companies with a lot of heritage uh, and a lot of good people and it's, um, it's very enjoyable to bring it to the next level in the world of today. I think 
because you, you can actually make a difference. Uh, and that is really nice. It, it, it only happens once or twice in your life that you can see an industry make a complete change. Uh, and you can really contribute here to, to the growth and to the opening up of the market with all with lots of opportunities but also lots of dangers because legalization means um, everything goes from, from black to grey to the white side. Uh, it will have effects on prices and on markets. So there's a lot of unknowns as well, but I wouldn't want to work in any other place right now. Eric seems to have found his calling in that he saw something he enjoyed doing, but the laws in place made it difficult for him and his company to operate efficiently. That's certainly a motivating factor for anyone who believes in what they do for a living, and if you look at the ever-changing legal landscape of Dutch cannabis laws, you would also most likely see it as a reason to fight for change. It's even more motivating if you can see that your efforts are affecting change, as Eric states, but he rightly points out that there are risks that come with legalization. With freedom comes responsibility, and if done carelessly without considering all the consequences, you could be asking for problems, especially if things are rushed. A good example of this would be the lack of restrictions and regulations placed on producers in the U.S. state of Oregon, which experienced a glut of production as obtaining a production license was quite easy, which led many people from all over the country to set up shop there. As a result, prices for cannabis have dropped about 75% since adult-use cannabis was legalized. This is great news for consumers who like cheap weed, but will put a lot of growers and processors out of business as they can no longer compete to sell their goods. It doesn't take an economics degree to see that this is not a sustainable model. Eric is also very right to mention about there being many unknowns. This is a budding industry, no pun intended, so a lot of things can go in either direction. But it is exciting to say the least, and I fully understand Eric for wanting to keep his job. However, with Eric's company being as successful as they are, and with the Dutch cannabis industry estimated to be generating approximately 4 billion euros annually, you might be thinking, well, what's all the fuss about? I thought cannabis is legal in the Netherlands. No, no, it's not. And the laws have become a bit more strict uh, during the past uh, years in in, in the Netherlands. Um, In the Netherlands, it's a bit of a strange situation that it's not legal to have cannabis, but it it is at the same time it is allowed to have a little quantity so that is a bit of a bizarre situation um, the distribution is even more bizarre in the sense that you can purchase cannabis in Amsterdam and all over the country which is legal um, but you can actually not produce it that is not legal so it's a bit like if you compare it with beer that the, the, the cafes can sell beer but nobody can actually brew the beer uh, that is the, the current status in the Netherlands and it is uh, starting to change now with an experiment within the coming four years where people will start to have legal production in smaller communities. Um, so there is uh, a step change coming. So possession of small amounts is a non-issue for the most part. Buying and selling is A-OK too, for the most part. But distribution is where it gets really muddy. Eric's beer analogy is very on point, and if this were any other product or industry, people across the world would be scratching their heads and calling on their politicians to change the laws. The way things are set up in the Netherlands is a far cry from the dispensary model in the US. It seems very confusing and complicated, and in a way, it is, 
The Dutch have a special word to describe such situations. Gedoogd. Yeah, I cannot translate that. Uh, yes, you, so you can have a small amount, uh, a few, a small amount of cannabis in, in, in your private possession, um, but you cannot have large-scale quantities because then you are considered a trader, and trade is not allowed. Um, and this goes through the whole chain. So uh, you can also not have um, hundreds of liters of nutrition in your garage because that is also considered large-scale production. Uh, and especially if you have nutrition and ventilators and all and lamps and all, all of that together in large quantities uh, makes you very suspect. Then again, if you are a wholesaler or a distributor, usually you have large quantities of goods in there to supply the shops. So that, that's a bit of a strange game that's being played. That's a very weird situation. So imagine you, you have a bar or a cafe and your customers drink beer, but you're not allowed to, uh, to buy beer. That's a bit strange. So you, so you have a back door, and that's, that's literally called the back door. So the coffee shops purchase their goods uh, on the black market because it's not allowed to produce. Uh, and because it's not allowed, there is a lot of criminals in there because it attracts different people with, with, with lots of money-making desires. Um, and the other thing the coffee shop cannot have is a, a large quantity. So they can only have 500 grams in stock, which usually lasts for one or two hours on a day. So there, there's a whole industry of motorbikes and scooters uh, filling, filling the coffee shops. And it depends a bit on the, the size of the coffee shop, but there's a whole logistics distribution black machine behind it. Uh, and everybody knows about it. And, um, that will only change when it becomes legal to produce cannabis, which is actually going to be experimented the next four years. A small amount of um, local villages or cities can actually apply for a license to start producing themselves. So the government will start to uh, control uh, production and distribution of the cannabis in, in those cities. Come on, kids, say it with me. Gedoogd. From the verb... Gedogen, which means that technically something is illegal, but actively tolerated as a matter of government policy. Since everyone knows, for example, prostitution or soft drugs cannot be legislated away. A legal illegality, if you will. So if you go to a coffee shop in Amsterdam and buy some cannabis, you are buying black market backdoor weed. Most people from outside of the Netherlands make the assumption that the cannabis sold in coffee shops is somehow obtained legally, either grown by the coffee shops themselves or purchased from a legal distributor. But as Eric points out, local Dutch growers will only start production in the near future. What is interesting is the peculiar way coffee shops straddle the line between legal and illegal activity. They can only stock a certain amount, which lasts them for a couple of hours. To stay stocked throughout the day, they have to cooperate with suppliers on scooters who have to transport large amounts from the illegal grow operations to the back doors of the coffee shops, where they are in legal territory once again. It's a very gray area where the law is kind of being broken, yet kind of observed by both law-abiding citizens and criminal enterprises simultaneously. Everyone knows this, yet not a whole lot has been done to change this at least until recently. A few years ago, some conservative Dutch politicians were fed up with the country being associated with cannabis. 
To curb people from streaming across the border to buy their weed, they decided to limit sales to local residents only. Well, how did that work out? That was, I think, from three years ago, but that didn't work very well because you needed a, a pass or an ID and, and then the coffee shop almost became a border patrol agency to check people's identity, that that just didn't work. Um, and, and there has always been a lot of uh, business done in, in, the, in the areas on the border because the, the regulation is so different per country in Europe. So it's, it's a bit like water, it will flow down to the lowest point and, and the most tolerant country will, have the, will attract the customers. The big takeaway from this model of one country being tolerant and the other being prohibitionist is that people will always find a way to get around the laws, rendering the laws unenforceable and therefore pointless. But finally, some progress is being made with small-scale production being slowly phased in as part of the experiment with local production to curb smuggling and to bring the industry out from the underground. Does that mean that we might see full-scale legalization in the near future? Well, we are, we are years away from that, I think. But that's not going to be easy. Uh, the experiment that is started now will, will take four years. Uh, or it hasn't even started, so uh, that will be a minimum of five years, I think. Unless something drastic happens in the, in the meantime, but I don't think it will be that soon. But other countries around us in Europe can also make the change. Um, and I think that could be a big impact on the Netherlands. If the surrounding countries like UK, Germany, France or whatever, if they start to legalize faster, that could make a big change for the Netherlands. Because it's very difficult to isolate this kind of business in Europe. Also making changes, Netherlands neighbor two doors to the south and one-third of the Benelux moniker, Luxembourg. Yes, Luxembourg, the little landlocked fairy tale-esque country that is also a co-capital of the European Union. Prime Minister Xavier Bettel, who managed to form a coalition government between the Democratic Party, the Luxembourg Socialist Workers' Party, and the Greens, announced the legalization of recreational cannabis in the country on the 29th of November of this year, along with other popular measures such as the increase of minimum income and free transportation. In other words, a conservative's nightmare. Details of how and when legalization will take effect is still to be determined, but this is huge news for the European market and a major milestone for the cannabis industry, as the country will become the first in Europe to announce full legalization of adult-use cannabis. The political and economic consequences could also be significant. Though the country numbers only half a million people, it borders France, Belgium, and Germany. How these neighboring countries react to the formation of a new recreational cannabis industry on their doorstep will be very interesting, to put it mildly. You can expect to see tourism to explode in a very short amount of time. And with that, laws in other countries can change quickly as well. As Eric points out, it's very difficult to isolate this type of business in Europe, especially with its open border policy, otherwise known as Schengen. Legalization in U.S. states such as Colorado or Washington, which are relatively small states in terms of population, got things rolling in North America. Could Benelux be the European version of those two? We shall see. Well, what about the situation of people using cannabis as medicine? 
In the past few years, we've seen several European countries legalizing the medicinal use of cannabis for serious illnesses and pain management, as well as the use of CBD products. You would think the Netherlands would be way ahead of the curve on this one. Do Dutch patients have the same type of access like they do in other places, such as U.S. states with medical cannabis? Yes, yes and no. Uh, yes, you, if you have a prescription, I think is the word, you can go to the pharmacy and, and get your cannabis. Uh, I say no because the, 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 the variety in the pharmacies is very limited. There is only one company in the Netherlands producing the cannabis. Uh, and most of the patients prefer to have their own strains or flavors, uh, which the pharmacies don't have. So it, it ends up being legal, but the major quantity of the, the goods are still being bought in, in the coffee shop circuit and not in the pharmacies. So unlike U.S. states that have or had medical programs in place, the selection of strains and products in Dutch pharmacies is very limited. Bedrican is the only company licensed by the Dutch Ministry of Health to produce cannabis flour. Initially growing cannabis for the production of seed, Bedrican was contracted by the Dutch Ministry of Health in 2003 to produce cannabis for medicinal use. In order to obtain the government contract, Bedrican had to grow the same batch of cannabis three times to show the potency and that quality was consistent. The cannabis varieties Bedrican, Bedrabinol, Bedica, and Bediol are legally available for medicinal use on prescription by physicians. So essentially patients can choose between four types of flour, which is quite small. The reason why this works to the disadvantage of patients is partially because not all conditions are treated the same way with the same strain. Strains can vary tremendously in terms of effect. Some are better for things such as pain management or insomnia. Others are more effective for treating things like diabetes or high blood pressure. Some induce appetite, while others suppress it. Some are better suited to treat anxiety and depression. And let's not forget the different forms of cannabis and how they can differ in terms of effect as well. A joint may have an entirely different effect than an edible or a tincture. When ingested through the digestive tract, your liver turns delta-9 THC into 11-hydroxy-THC, which can give users a psychedelic effect in large enough doses. Last but not least, every individual has a distinct biochemistry, and where one person reacts a certain way to a given strain, the next person may experience something entirely different. So in this case, patients may have to experiment with different varieties and ways of ingestion before finding something that suits them the most. But at the very least, patients have somewhere to obtain medical cannabis, and the whole process is as normal as buying any other prescription medication. Still, things could be better both on the recreational and medicinal front. So what's keeping things from progressing? After all, aren't the Dutch supposed to be tolerant and progressive in their ways? I think it's mainly regulation, which means uh, politics. Uh, I think most of the Dutch people don't have anything against the use of cannabis. And yet the, 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 the regulation is quite strict, um, not, not always accurate although we understand why they are there as they are there today, but it's, it's, it's not correct. Ah, yes, politics. That old game. Politics can make life difficult for a lot of people, and the Dutch are no exception. 
Nonetheless, they still have been associated with being a cannabis haven for quite some time. I asked Eric why he thought this was the case, despite the politics. I think it's the tolerancy and the multicultural element of, of the country. And in the 80s, it was already clear that uh, being tolerant actually uh, helps and reduces uh, the problems. Um, and being tolerant also meant not only cannabis, but also people from other cultures um, entering the country and, and, you know, and people from other genders and... and, and, and it is a very tolerant country. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why there are so many of those companies in Amsterdam. Well, the Dutch are unique among most countries in that they have managed to somewhat escape the strict prohibition of soft drugs, but they've also had a very relaxed attitude towards other behaviors that in more puritanical societies would be deemed as vices. But now with countries like the US and Canada, both G7 nations legalizing cannabis, I asked Eric how he thinks this would affect Dutch cannabis policy. I think they are the, I don't know the real English word, but we, we, in Dutch we say Gidsland. They are the guiding countries. So they will define what the others will do. Uh, Canada especially, if, if you see what happens there, uh, in terms of legalization and distribution, they haven't got everything right yet, but, but the step towards legalization is a big step. Uh, to fix the distribution is, is a difficult one. Um, and the same is in, in the United States, with, with so many states legalizing. Um, the headache in the United States is, is it's, it is the states, so it's not the federal law yet, but I think these are the, the guys leading the, the change in, in the world. Um, and, and you can see other countries opening up as well. Usually the start is medicinal cannabis. Uh, there's, there's Mexico in the news this week, there's even Thailand in the news this week, there's Germany in the news last week. So. It is, it is opening up, um, and the world is different every Monday morning when we are back in the office. From the sounds of it, the people at Dutch Passion do not have a case of the Mondays. If you're in the cannabis industry in general, no one should have a case of the Mondays. Just this past week, the U.S. Congress passed a farm bill that would legalize the production of hemp, which has massive implications for the CBD market, among other things. Earlier this month, the state of Michigan was the first in the Midwest to legalize recreational cannabis. Other states elected pro-cannabis officials, paving the way for more states to go both medical and recreational. South Korea announced it was going to allow medical cannabis, albeit in restricted form. Staunch prohibitionist and self-professed murderer Rodrigo Duterte, otherwise known as the president of the Philippines, announced his support for the Philippine Compassionate Medical Cannabis Act, which would legalize some forms of medical cannabis. So things are changing very rapidly. The dominoes are falling quite fast. So there's never a dull moment in this industry. But getting back to Eric and Dutch Passion, I wanted to know why seeds and seed companies are as big of a market as they are in Europe. They aren't as sensational as opening a dispensary or consumption lounge on the west coast of the U.S., for example, yet this is a huge market, and by visiting any cannabis trade fair, particularly in Europe, you will see that seed companies tend to take the main stage. I think it's because the cannabis sort of revolution started in Amsterdam in the 70s, and and they've always been here. Uh, And I would say it's the Netherlands and Spain are the, the main... Uh, home bases of those seed companies. Um, 
the feminization was invented in the Netherlands as well, at least that's, that's most likely it happened here. And that sort of gave them all a head start versus the other countries. Um, and they could, they could build their brands and their reputation. You can start a seed company tomorrow. You, know, you create a logo, buy some seeds, design the packaging and um, off you go. But then you need, you, know, you need the producers, you need the quality. Um, and that takes years and years to build. Um, and that's how it works. For the uninitiated, not all cannabis seeds are the same. Feminized and automatic seeds are terms used to describe varieties with different life cycles and physical features. With the needs of the grower in mind, for example limited space, limited light, limited time, breeders have fine-tuned the genetics of various strains so that the grower can achieve the desired results despite the limitations. It has been specifically the European seed breeders from the Netherlands and Spain, including Dutch Passion, among others, that have developed such seeds and put them on the market, which is quite massive in Europe. Once the restrictions on seeds are lifted in other major markets, such as North America, the potential will be astronomical. So any words of wisdom or advice for young activists or entrepreneurs from Eric? Yeah, give us a call. Because we see the world changing as well. It's, it's not only about seeds anymore, it's about um, nutrition, it's about grow methodologies, it's about uh, sharing knowledge, it's about new genetics, so we are always open to speak to people who have good ideas and want to enter this business with, with something new. Um, and we also will see a division in, in, in forces. There will be large-scale producers, um, which are basically farms, like mice, um, but there will always be the, the connoisseur type of brands and products and, and that's that's where we would like to be which is with, with the best products and we always say we, we don't have to be the biggest we just want to be the best inevitably like in any commodities market there will be mass producers who dominate but there will also be craft producers and niche markets just look at the craft beer revolution all across the globe or fine wines or single malt whiskey Eric's philosophy for Dutch passion is not about being the biggest necessarily, but rather the best. And when a major seed company puts its focus on quality, it makes it that much easier to sleep at night for people worried about a corporate takeover or the domination of down-market products, for example. If you feel like contacting the people at Dutch Passion, where's the best place to start? www.dutchpassion.com They can find everything there, including us. And with that, we say Dach to our guest. Thanks for chatting with me today. Enjoy the rest of the fest and uh, hope to see you at the next one. Yes, we will. Meet you in Spain then. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. That was episode 13 of the Critical Grass podcast. Congratulations, you've survived all the episodes for 2018. We will take a few weeks off over the holidays to relax, recuperate, and prepare for an even more exciting 2019. There is never a dull week in the wide world of cannabis, so stay tuned. We will be back in January with new episodes, new guests, and new topics. In the meantime, stay safe, have a wonderful holiday season, and see you next year. Sayonara, y'all.